All right. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'd like to offer a special welcome to our visiting monastics. Thank you so much for journeying on this wet Seattle evening. And thank you for all for making that, that difficult trip. So um, on behalf of Seattle Insight Meditation Society, just like to welcome you all. My name is Tim Guile, one of the guiding teachers here at Seattle Insight. Thank you, Tim. Um, my name is Ajahn Nisapo. Uh, we've been um, forming a community uh, called Clear Mountain recently here in Seattle. And uh, we've sort of, over the past few months, begun to develop a really wonderful and warm relationship with Seattle Insight. And it's just been a growing friendship um, with Tim and Tuere and the local Dharma leaders at its fore. So this was uh, the first event where we really thought we could come together as two communities and um, receive really senior and venerable monastic teachers into um, our shared community. And I was just commenting, it kind of seems like a, a sleepover here with all the mats all together and just this sort of intimate feel. So we're very grateful for Tim and all the Sims uh, for welcoming us so warmly. And hopefully it's the beginning of a long and really warm relationship. Um, today we are joined by some very special monastics, uh, and Ajahn Kovilo will begin by introducing some of them. It's good to see everybody. I'm Ajahn Kovilo, and we have here Lumpur Pasano, uh, Aya Santusika, Aya Chitananda, and Anagarika Sarana. Uh, Lumpur Pasano is Canadian by birth, and in 1973 went basically traveling across Europe and down through Asia to India, over to Thailand, ending up ordaining in 1974 and thinking it was just going to be a temporary ordination, but is still in robes. And that was uh, 50 years ago. So uh, he started many, uh, several different monasteries in Thailand. And he's uh, currently, um, he started a Bayagiri monastery in California where I ordained and is now the, the guiding elder there and has passed on the main abbotship to Ajanyaniko. So we're so happy to have you here, Lumpurka. This is Aya Santusika, who was born in Illinois, grew up in Indiana, and um, basically became interested in Buddhism in the late uh, 90s. And has lived and practiced in quite a few different uh, practice communities in England as a Siladara in Australia. Uh, her son is or was a, a Buddhist monk, one of my teachers, actually, Ajahn Gunawudo. Um, she got her master's in uh, divinity in 2002 and took uh, successive ordinations and finally became a, a bhikkhuni in 2012, I believe, and then that same year uh, began Karuna Buddhist Viharo, which has had a number of different locations, iterations, um, and is now two-part. There's a, a forest hermitage in the Santa Cruz Mountains and a city center in Sunnyvale. So, Aya, thank you so much for, for coming. Yeah. And we have Aya Chitananda, who uh, also... Um, stayed and ordained originally uh, in a Mahayana tradition in Florida uh, with, uh, yeah, great. 
<laughs> we we met at uh, Abayagiri. She lived for uh, a number of years in and around Abayagiri and uh, took Bikuni ordination in 2016, 18. Okay. And currently lives with uh, Aya Santuska, Karuna Buddhist Vihara. And Anagarika Sarna uh, is a newest member of the community from Mexico and has been here since the day after Christmas. So, yeah. Uh, and maybe pass off and do the guided meditation with Aya Santusika. Good evening. Um, can you hear me okay? Great. Well, I want to welcome everyone. It's really a pleasure for us to be here. We've been um, friends and and actually advisors to the Clear Mountain Monastery Project. And we are so delighted with the energy, the enthusiasm, the, the community that's collected around Ajahn Kovilo and Ajahn Nisabo and, and, um, yeah, and we're just delighted to be here to be able to visit and to kind of be um, sisters uh, to this this monastic effort. So we're going to have some time to, excuse me, to meditate. So settle into your body. Find a comfortable position. And it's good to have your spine relatively straight, but also relaxed. It's an interesting balance of being straight and not tight, and also being alert, but relaxed. So you might want to take a a few deeper breaths here at the beginning and let your body loosen up a little bit, relax, and ground yourself, feeling your, your seat or your feet on the floor. Take a moment to check in on your body. You can start at the top of the head. Just let any of the muscles around your eyes or your jaw, your cheeks relax. Relax the muscles in your neck, your shoulders. Let your arms and hands Relax and lie, lie either in your lap or wherever is comfortable. Pay some attention. Bring your attention to your back. Relax your back muscles. And also your chest, your belly. 
Sometimes if you find a tight place, it's good to take a breath in and really invite the letting go as you breathe out. Relax your legs, your feet. Now, after a busy day, the challenge might be staying awake, especially when someone who got most of her storytelling experience putting her kids to sleep at night is talking. (laughs) But I think bringing your mindfulness up strong and clear will help. And for anyone who enjoys putting your attention on your breathing, I'll invite you to do that. If by any chance that's uncomfortable, then please put your attention where it is most comfortable, peaceful, calming, and still remain alert. So we breathe in and breathe out, aware that we're breathing in and aware that we're breathing out. And as you're breathing in and you're aware, this is an in-breath, then you can also notice the quality of that breath. If it's light, if it's deep, if it's long, if it's short. This is really a good way to bring mindfulness to your breathing. Noticing the characteristics of the in-breath and also the out-breath. Strengthening that ability to observe even the most subtle things.
And as we're noticing our breath, our in-breath and our out-breath, we can notice whether there, there's any tension or feeling that's in any way stressful. And see if we can allow ourselves to become more calm, more peaceful. And I find it helps to bring an attitude of kindness to the meditation. There's nothing we need to accomplish here. Just let go, be present. And enjoy this time, this lovely gathering. Now, as we're still aware of our in-breath and our out-breath, we can also broaden our awareness to include our entire body. The entire body, you know, maybe a bit like an energy field, your whole body and some of the space around it. And just noticing as you breathe in what you feel there in the body. And as you breathe out, any sensations that arise, particularly those that are pleasant, that are natural coming from becoming still.
So we'll continue like this, aware of each in-breath and each out-breath of pleasant feeling you might experience in the body and calming the body for a few more minutes until the sound of the bell.
นะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามสามิ Good evening, everyone, and uh, very happy to be here. I've heard of Sims for a long, long time, and uh, uh, it's a uh, great opportunity to come up and join you uh, to come along with. Uh, uh, The ayas and the the other monks who are involved in trying to begin Clear Mountain. So it's a um, <clears throat> nice occasion for, of course, the um, Sims has been here for a very long time. I'm not sure how long, many many decades, um, and uh, but there is this uh, nascent opportunity or beginning attempt uh, to see if uh, a monastic presence uh, will be uh, yeah, well, see if it'll fly or not. <laughs> <clears throat> It's uh, the uh, <clears throat> you know. I think that's one of the beauties of of uh, the Buddhist teaching is that there there's really many many expressions, uh, and to live though learn how to get the flavor of those. Expressions and see how they speak to you, um, and uh, you know part of a uh, monastic form um, is that there's a uh, uh, there's a certain uh, tradition uh, that we follow, and uh, and there's been to be able to. Plug into that tradition, and then to also, and I think one of the things that I particularly, of course, I'm a bit biased, but, <laughs> but certainly part of what I find um, beautiful of uh, within the uh, tradition is these this opportunity to relate to. A religious spiritual tradition from a place of from a place of faith, maybe um, um, in a culture and society that is so based on on the material and and the rational. Um, I think it's refreshing to to approach something from a place of trust and faith and. and uh, And of course, that's a, a quality that the Buddha 
lays out as a as a foundation uh, in terms of the say the development of of the say spiritual faculties uh, faith is the first one and that puzzled me for the longest time because one I didn't see myself as somebody who had any faith even though I was living as a monastic in a in a Buddhist monastery uh, it just there's all sorts of paradoxes that that uh, uh, are part of this uh, exploration and and maturation, so that even say as Ayas Antusika <clears throat> introducing uh, the meditation, uh, okay, sit up straight and relax. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, is, we you know we hear it so often that we we don't sort of so oh hey wait a minute which one should I be doing? <laughs> and but you realize well actually it requires both um, because it's a, a bigger picture that we're relating to, and in the same way that uh, say the, the the Buddha's path, um, you know the Buddha. You know, in terms of religious teachings, I mean, there's it's hard to find any religion religious uh, teaching that is so rigorous in its in its application of wisdom and discernment, um, but also requires a certain faith to nurture it because it can it can get really dry. Um, if uh, if one is uh, um, trying to figure it all out through the intellect or trying to uh, apply it just through effort, uh, and and that that uh, sense of being able to, uh, you know, how do we introduce the qualities of heart into the into the practice into the training, and and some of it is. Is is not so obvious, or I say, just like the uh, before giving the dhamma talk, there's a, a traditional request that uh, Daniel made, and and uh, uh, and then and then okay, I've got an invitation to teach. Uh, I was probably going to teach anyway, but <laughs> you know, but 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 you know, the, the, uh, there's a beauty in the in in some of the forms and to reflect on the the uh, the meaning of it because it's there's a some there's a certain humility uh, of requesting to receive teachings and and uh, and then for myself to begin the teachings uh, is to pay respects to to the Buddha and to Dhamma and Sangha so that that, that sense of, of uh, it's not about me so much as um, yeah, I'm a representative of the Triple Gem uh, and to a certain degree as Buddhists uh, we're all representatives of the Triple Gem and uh, and how do we how do we fulfill that for our our own benefit? And this is something that comes up over and over and over again in the in the uh, in the 
uh, in the discourses and the teachings of uh, <clears throat> the bringing a benefit to oneself, bringing benefit to others, uh, bringing happiness to oneself, bringing happiness to others. Uh, it's not; uh, these are not separate things, uh, and uh, they go they go hand in hand. They go together. Uh, so that that the recollection of grounding oneself in the the that, that you know, respectful relationship to to the uh, traditional forms of refuge, um, because. No, the reality is, is we take refuge in all sorts of things. Uh, yeah. You know, who doesn't take refuge in their cup of first cup of coffee in the morning? You know, there. Um, and and or the, you know, the mind going out for. You know, they can be very innocent. They can be quite, uh, you know, not so. Yeah, kind of destructive, or, um, and and we can take refuge in really beautiful things. So that that uh, uh, learning how to exercise discernment, so that we're really nurturing the beautiful qualities of, of heart and of our how we live it, how we implement that. So the the recollection of, 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 of refuge is, is in, say, in the Thai language, when we <clears throat> recollect, the, when they do a translation of the, say, of the Buddha, uh, it's taking refuge, not in a historical Buddha, although that's implicit, but it's, uh, but it's in the qualities. Uh, and, of course, those qualities are accessible to everyone. Um, one who knows, one who's awakened, uh, one who's radiant. Uh, these are these are beautiful qualities of the heart to to uh, you know, inform or to uh, direct our attention. Uh, the the refuge of of in Dhamma as a, a refuge in. Not just in terms of teachings, but the fundamental truth, fundamental realities, uh, the way things truly are. Uh, we have to accept the the whole package and, and take it as a refuge and trust in the the, the when like when the Buddha points to <clears throat> say impermanence, change as a a, a universal characteristic a universal truth you think whoa that's that's a can i take refuge in that but then you realize the more you trust in in the 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 fundamental nature and of of the the this existence um the more comfortable we are with it and the, the more comfortable we are with it <clears throat> the the more imperturbed we are, uh, there's a <clears throat> that's on a just on a, a, a discursive level or a, on a thought experiment level, but that imperturbability is also 
Um, I mean, that's a, a uh, um, it's a quality of, like, of samadhi, of meditation. Um, one of the, uh, I mean, that's one, one of the qualities that the Buddha points to of the, say, the meditative mind, the mind of, of, of the, a settled quality of mind. Uh, attained imperturbability, which is, uh, I, I, I like that. Um, um, it, 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 uh, it's so easy to be, <clears throat> um, reacting to the, the things that we, the things that we like, the things that we dislike, the, the things that we approve of, the things we disapprove of. Um, but to be imperturbable within that, that that change or those those disparities uh, is is uh, a uh, a function of refuge and a function of the training, uh, as well as until when we think of wisdom, it's not just the information about 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 the teachings. It's sort of how to, how we live it, uh, how we live a life of discernment and clarity. Um, so that seeing things clearly, and uh, the the Buddha, <clears throat> you know, just in describing, say the uh, the basis of, of meditation is, as everyone knows, this is a meditation center. It's mindfulness uh, and cultivation of mindfulness, but the um, <clears throat> there's different clusters of qualities that we have to bring together uh, to fulfill the aspects of mindfulness that the Buddha Buddha points to. Um, and the first is is a, a, a certain effort. Uh, the Say in the scriptural language, the Buddha described, whenever the Buddha talks of mindfulness, he talks of the Atabhisambhajana Satima Vinaya Loke Pichatumarasa, Buddhist jargon, sorry. But it's, uh, sometimes it's helpful to have these, these, uh, these, uh, these reminders that, you know, the Buddha really did lead the way on, on describing, um, the, qualities of mind that are required and so that mindfulness that atapi is a pointer to to effort is a pointing to effort and uh, say uh Jen jeff translates it as ardent so there's a, a yeah and there's a little there's a, it's not so cool there's a little bit of fire there uh, there's, there's a engaging uh, with with a uh, uh, it's not just sort of stepping back and letting it all it all happen. It's, we have to engage, um, <clears throat> and the aspect of sampajanya, which is is uh, uh, again, Ajahn Jeff translates it as alert. It's a traditional translation, it's clear comprehension. So that that sense of clarity of there's a reflective quality that it's again it's not passive uh, 
or it's only passive when that is what is useful. That's what ha- leads to clarity and well-being and imperturbability. Um, and there's a there's an engagement uh, that is is really helpful to be able to see clearly. Satima is to to be a possessed of mindfulness. There's this mindfulness awareness, being aware, being very present. And then the last quality that the Buddha speaks of is that you know, the relinquishing of greed and distress towards the world, not getting caught up in the liking and disliking uh, that we have towards the world. And the world is is not just out there, the world in here. Uh, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, all the mental formations. That's what the Buddha defines as the world. He's, he's asked very, um, say, explicitly, you know, the world, the world, what is the world? And uh, the eye is the world, the ear is the world, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind is the world. However, or in another sense, that whereby <clears throat> one perceives the world and conceives of the world, that is the world. And so that learning how to live in the world without being shaken and being imperturbable that requires this quality of mindfulness, meditation, the developing of a uh, a refuge, having a continuity of of uh, 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 and I think one of the the results <clears throat> of that is, a, is, of course, is this imperturbability, but it's also clarity uh, and and well-being. Uh, the like it's really interesting <clears throat> if you ask most people, well, what is the say, the heart of the Buddha's teachings, and, and quite rightly, say it was a Four Noble Truths. Because um, uh, um, even the Buddha himself, through 45 years of his dispensation, has over and over again, uh, I teach only two things, suffering and the ending of suffering. So, and these Four Noble Truths, suffering, cause of suffering, cessation of suffering, path leading to the ending of suffering. And we can sometimes hear that and relate to it. I go, wow, it's a lot of suffering. (laughs) But uh, uh, it's important to recognize that what, what the Buddha is doing is making sure that this is an experiential teaching <clears throat> as opposed to a philosophical abstraction. Uh, and what grabs our attention <clears throat> is suffering. <clears throat> and <clears throat> what makes us really sit up and take notice is, is when it hurts. Um, but of course, that's not the whole picture. Uh, of course, it's understanding the cause. It's it's being able to 
um, to realize uh, the, the cessation, the ending of suffering. But then the cult, like when we, we turn to the, <clears throat> the middle way of practice that the Buddha laid down for the ending of suffering, <clears throat> you think that each of those, each of those factors, it's, its direct result is happiness and well-being. Um, it's just its natural, uh, that's its natural point of, of completion. Uh, the, 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 the you know, right view, right, right thought, these are all the, the thoughts of, and, and the perspectives that, that are bringing about happiness and well-being. Uh, it's, this is the the the, the, the its natural uh, conclusion. The aspects of of say of the of action and speech and that are part of the path. Um, this the the Buddha say when we have this say living with virtue and integrity. Uh, the natural result is happiness in <clears throat> in within ourselves, um, uh, as well as a sense of, in terms of relationship to others, a tremendous sense of trust, uh, and you know, from say from my own experience. <clears throat> Uh, say like I mean I've lived in a monastery. This will be will be my fiftieth year in the monastery, and and uh, um, and I don't actually like everybody I live with, you know. <laughs> but but I do trust them, and that's because because they're they're committed to. They're committed to sila. They're committed to virtue. They're committed to living with integrity, and and that's really really important. Uh, there's a, a sense of 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 well being uh, that is beyond personal likes and dislikes, uh, and yeah, not everybody likes me either, <laughs> which is fine. But you know, just living in this. Uh, with a life of integrity is it just is it just brings a lot of happiness to the heart uh, it's what the uh, you know, we're, we're hardwired for that uh, so it's paying attention to it and similarly in the same sense of the development of the the meditation aspects of <clears throat> of the past right effort right mindfulness right Concentration, right meditation. Uh, the like the uh, especially when one hears right effort, um, it's so often you know from our perspective and I think most people's perspective. In order to put forth effort, I've got to do something, um, and then when we do something we've got to you know we're measuring you know how 
how diligent am I? How much did I do? And, and but in the Buddha's description of right effort, he's not saying how much did you do or how you know how vigorous were you. He's um, saying, what's the result? Did it bring about an increase in wholesome qualities? And did it stabilize any wholesome qualities that you had? And did it lead to the relinquishing of unwholesome qualities? Uh, did it prevent any unwholesome qualities from arising? It's all concerned with the quality of our heart uh, the, and that well-being. And because within wholesome qualities and unwholesome qualities, intrinsic and to the, say, unwholesome, unskillful states, there's suffering, there's a lack of clarity, there's an agitation uh, that's intrinsic. And similarly with wholesome qualities, within the Buddhist framework of mind, uh, it's peaceful, it's clear, it's steady. Uh, and that's, that's the, so that inclination encouraging of the, of the wholesome in terms of effort, but then, okay, with mindfulness, then you're starting to stabilize that, starting to recognize it more clearly, understanding what were the causes and conditions that brought it about? What are the causes and conditions that, uh, that make it go wonky? And, and, and being able to be aware and alert enough to, to see that more clearly and, and the aspects of uh, of say of samadhi of <clears throat> it's stabilizing it to another sort of degree another level refining that stability uh, of mind of heart uh, so that it is you know, it's steady it's clear uh, and you know, there's a few different there's a there's a bunch of words that the Buddha uses to describe the the, the heart of, of samadhi, um, which I can't remember all of them. But, uh, but the uh, what what sticks in my mind is is the uh, uh, one is this quality of Malleable and soft. This mutubhuta. Um, it's there's a softness there, and and the uh, and so that it's a, there's a, um, a a malleable, soft. It's not rigid uh, because sometimes we can have we can concentrate our mind, but then it's rigid. Uh, or it's 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 fearful, um, and a soft, malleable quality of mind is it, it is it's bright, it's happy, uh, and because it's it's not easily threatened. Um, the quality of uh, uh, what is called. Um, pliable, workable, 
uh, ready for work. Uh, like we we prepare the mind not to sink into sink into dullness, not for sure, or not, uh, but to, but to sink into a, a, a just a a self oriented. Um, so, well, what comes to mind is a little precious, peaceful state of mind that we can hang on to, uh, which you know sometimes we'd like for sure. But the purpose of of this mindfulness and this clarity is the work of liberation, the work of freedom, the work of letting go, the work of relinquishment. Uh, and that's, of course, that brings about even more happiness and, and well-being. Just not hanging on to, holding on to our identity of self, our preferences and opinions, our attachments to the, how the world should be or shouldn't be, um, um, all of the ways that we trip ourselves up. And there's just tremendous sense of of happiness and well-being that comes there's a freedom there and so that the the mind of steadiness and composure is for that purpose for put it to work the work of dhamma uh, there's a, uh, a another word that the buddha uses um, which is like steady and kind of and dita, which means like steady, solid, uh, stable. Um, and so that's a, that's a beautiful quality. There's a sense of well-being and confidence that comes from that. And then the last one that, I, that I've already mentioned is this attain the imperturbability, which is a... Uh, you know that kind of resonates with me, and because it was it was one of the qualities that I saw in my teacher Ajahn Chah, um, who was a he was a very charismatic, very um, uh, very energetic um, teacher. Um, he had drew people were drawn to him, so. Uh, the monastery routine was n- never really that fixed. The people coming and going were always, you know, I mean, there was always something something happening. Um, but he was like the still center within that, not because he was forcing it or holding it or uh, imposing his will on it, but because he was happy and still within whatever was happening and understanding oh this is just one of the idioms that he he used to use when people get upset or get excited about something or anything it's just that much (laughs) you know it's just it's just in, in time, canon. Uh, just it's only that much, it's, and and that's all anything ever can be. It's just that much. 
for all of the, the kind of the joys and sorrows that we have, the, all of the the, uh, the successes and the failures that we have. In the end, it's just that much. It's just to be able to be, you see it clear. It's not dismissive. It's not pushing it away. But it's just within that, one is clear and one can experience happiness, well-being. And that's real what peace is. Well, that's, uh, that's a perspective. So I'll offer that for reflection this evening. Thank you, Longpur, Aya. We have a chance now for Q&A. Um, and I really would encourage people to take advantage. It's very rare to have teachers like this here with us. And if you're shy or on the verge of asking something, please know that there's likely others who have the same question and it's a gift to be able to come forward and ask it. Um, so uh, I don't know if people will just say their questions and then we can repeat it up here. Um, is that how it's usually done at Seattle Insight? Okay. We, we could have one for the questioners to come up and take. Okay. So yeah, we'll have one mic waiting. And then um, if you're on Zoom or something, perhaps there's the ability to raise your electronic hand. If you have questions, yeah, or type it into the chat. And um, although all monastics are available for the questions, I think we'll probably foreground the uh, the uh, senior uh, monastics we have here with us because it's really rare. So please uh, don't be shy. Thank you. Amanda, thank you for being here, everyone. Um, I guess my question, you mentioned faith, and I'm curious if faith feels out of balance. Um, Sometimes it feels like faith is strong, um, but wisdom maybe not as strong. And I'm curious if you could say anything about that. Well, I mean, that's even traditionally the the Buddha, like in his when I, I mentioned those spiritual faculties, and in the structure of it, there's these five spiritual faculties: faith, faith, effort, mindfulness, um, samadhi, banya, so that the the faith and the wisdom aspects are 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 need to be balanced, uh, and they will get out of balance. Um, it's just quite natural. And then the um, effort, energy, concentration, meditation aspects, the peaceful, calming, composed element that can get out of balance. Similarly. So that 
And that middle factor of mindfulness is just so important that it needs to be monitoring or adjusting or attuning itself to the the different faculties and and again the uh, the clue is always suffering <laughs> so that that this is when we're we're willing to use suffering as a a, a tool for learning as opposed to an indication of our complete hopelessness. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening. It's such a delight to hear you here. With gratitude to Ajahn Nisabo, I've been listening to Ajahn Amaro's presentation of Analaya Bhikkhu's book on the Satipatthana. And uh, it's been just absolutely fascinating to listen to. Over the darndest thing has been happening in the middle of the chapter on the hindrances. So I'll get to the end of the third hindrance, and then the book simply disappears from my screen. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to the fourth and fifth hindrances, the uh, agitation and uh, and uh, doubt. And I believe Ajahn Sona also refers to um, the hindrance of agita- agitation uh, with respect to also quality of uh, 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 compulsion, which certainly resonates with my mind, but I'm not quite sure how. <laughs> so. First of all, what's your name? Charles. Charles, thank you for the question. Um, I'm going to give it a go. Lumpo Apasano has been my teacher. Now, it's this year, it's 20 years uh, since I took dependence on Lumpo, and he's been the most amazing. Um, what did you say about Ajahn Chah? You know, that stability, that rock. <laughs> thank you, Lumpo. <laughs> imperturbable so I will try to answer this question with my teacher sitting right here (laughs) yeah so compulsion restlessness um, even a kind of unproductive regret or remorse that's that fourth hindrance Um, The mind is on the move, and it's actually kind of the flip side of the sloth and torpor or drowsiness. So sometimes that's a result of overstimulation. It can be the result of um, maybe some doubt about our own virtue or some things that, you know, uh, we may want to clean up clean up in our in our thoughts our words and our actions and so it's i mean i feel like um i get the best results 
working with the hindrances, would I bring a sense of kindness and compassion to myself? Uh, you know, appreciating that we all have um, a lot to deal with, really, our mental habits um, and our life situation. And, and then you noticing that it's there instead of going, oh, here you are again. <laughs> that's me. That's my, no, to, to, to be kind and um, it's like, okay, this is, this is what I'm uh, faced with at the moment. And then, you know, really looking at in, in the present moment, if I really bring that stabilizing quality of mindfulness to it, stay present with maybe look into a bit what's behind it. If there's some cause for this restlessness cause for this compulsion, uh, as Lumpur said, the, you feel the suffering in it. And sometimes it's enough to just kind of see it in the full light of your awareness for it to settle down. And if it becomes, <clears throat> if that becomes kind of a theme, then it can be really valuable to look at what am I doing uh, in my life, maybe uh, taking care of any you know, of, um, weak areas of our sila, our moral virtue, because that really is such a foundation of even, you know, like when the Buddha talked about, if you have virtue, then it's natural to not have regret. And when you don't have regret, it's natural to have joy. And these causes just keep um, falling forward, you might say, to a calm mind. So we can look at that kind of like, collection of things and see, you know, where that might be fueled in our day-to-day life. So I was teaching a beginning meditation class one time, you know, people were being encouraged to meditate every day. And, you know, one of the classes, maybe three or four weeks into it, this person says, yeah, I just, I just can't get quiet. And then we start talking about what's going on. They would come home from work, watch the news, and then sit. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, just it might not be that obvious, but, you know, really looking at what are we doing um, that helps to calm the mind as we're just taking care of things. What are we doing that? brings up more agitation in the mind. So that's, you know, kind of what I would say. Uh, Of course, there's a whole bunch more to say. Books are written. (laughs) Um, And the doubt, you know, is that wavering? um, Am I doing this right, et cetera? That kind of speculative doubt or this, you know, like is, is, is this, uh, is, am I able to do this at all or am I doing it correctly? Or am, you know, maybe doubt about some of what the Buddha describes as the true nature of reality that we haven't seen yet ourselves. And, 
Again, okay, identifying this is doubt. Um, and then recognizing that if there's something we haven't come to a conclusion about yet, you know, we're talking about faith. And faith isn't quite the same in Buddhism as it is in a faith-based religion. It's really not about believing in, um, at least fundamentally, not about believing in something you can't prove. Faith is a confidence that you develop in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, and the Sangha, based on, I think, more than anything, your experience of the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, you can really build that faith um, kind of brick by brick to be a, a real confidence. So when we experience a lot of doubt in our meditation, one way to work with it is where is where does my confidence stand with regard to the to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, with regard to my own um sort of decisions about how I'm living my life. And when we have the more clarity we develop based on learning from, you know, our mistakes, like, like Lung Porvasana was saying, you know, we can always use all of this as a way to learn. The more we learn, the more sort of solid we become, the less that doubt is going to show up in our meditation Steve, whoops, my name is Steve. Um, you, you referred to uh, the word malleable in terms of a condition of mind that evolves out of practice and suggested that sometimes too much emphasis on concentration can restrict that. And then on the other hand, in the, in, in the suttas, Buddha talks about malleable often in terms of being at the point of nibbana. The Buddha talks about you know malleable mind then, but then he also emphasizes the jhanas a lot. And, you know, some of us have sort of jhana's envy that maybe can't get there so easy. So could you tease out how those interrelate, you know, the malleable on the one side, but maybe concentration focus held in the wrong way can restrict that which makes that possible? Thank you. Yeah, I think the one of the things is is just the word concentration um, to me is is I think it's a terrible translation for samadhi uh, um, the uh, just because in the English language uh, like to concentrate literally means to make small and and that's not what the say the say the composure and brightness of mind or heart uh, that is the result of meditation there's a there's an expansive quality um, which is certainly um, 
you know, an, an aspect of the, the, the meditation, but it's also an aspect of quite more explicitly in this, like with the Brahma Viharas, uh, which are a, a really important doorway into the jhanas. And one of the <clears throat> uh, qualities, uh, like when in, there's a, a chant, or what comes up in the discourses over and over again, where the Buddha describing the cultivation of the Brahma Viharas, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. It's the quality of the of the mind of the say the Brahma Viharas, but I said the Brahma Viharas are a really important doorway into into the into the jhanas. Like using mindfulness of breathing with a a, a um a flavor of loving kindness is a great way to settle the settle the heart and to allow the the mind to to settle. Uh, also, the <clears throat> um, again concentration can be you know you're you're concentrating the mind, focusing the mind. And and even the word that is usually used, one-pointed, uh, it's sort of okay. I got to keep my mind on one point and not let it wander. And yeah, that can be a really tight point, uh, and and not really a happy place. Uh, <clears throat> it might be held there, but it's usually through a. Through a lot of exercise of of will and effort, uh, whereas the same word uh, that's translated as one pointed is is also well translated as unified, and so unification uh, of mind. So it, it's unifying different factors. When I mean, you say like when you um, you know what are the what are the characteristics of the first jhana? Vitaka um, vichara piti sukha ekakata. The the initial thought, directed thought, evaluation. The mind is evaluating. It's sustaining that thought, uh, and then there's piti uh, joy, happiness. Uh, and unification, so that these are not opposed to each other, they're working together, uh, so that these different qualities, different factors, are able to harmonize and to unify, and to bring about a sense of clarity and stability, so that your your doorway into the jhanas, or there's, there's, it, it's not just a, a concentration exercise. And I think that that's something that can, I mean, I find when I've certainly that, you know, and one of the, you know, certainly my own experience of me trying to get the jhanas, the uh, um, kind of the paradigm is, you know, 
when I get my meditation together, then I'm going to be happy. <laughs> but that's not the Buddha's paradigm. The Buddha is saying, when you get your happiness together, then your meditation goes right. Uh, and so that, that the, the, uh, there's a, there, there's a, <clears throat> in the discourses, there's descriptions of the path and descriptions of development. And, and there's a, a set of stock phrases, qualities that, that come up over and over again, many, many places. And then there's, there's different entry points uh, to them so that, say, confidence, sometimes confidence, faith is, is one. Um, um, reflection and investigation is another. Sila, uh, virtue, is another. Uh, and so there's these different disparate um, entry points, but then it goes into uh, uh, with such and such as, a, as the condition, and there's the arising of, of joy. Uh, with the arising of joy, uh, then... Uh, with the, or with the condition of of joy, then there, there's there's the arising of. Well, actually, I got that right. There's more delight. Pomoja is your first um, quality, and then from delight, then there's joy. Then from joy, there's tranquility. From tranquility, then there's happiness, and then from happiness, uh, then there's the arising of samadhi. And in some of those discourses, the Buddha actually stops uh, and reiterates. Uh, so it becomes very explicit. The happy mind is easily concentrated, easily settled. Uh, and then from that, the, the state of, say, of samadhi, then there's seeing clearly. And from seeing clearly, there's dispassion, there's the relinquishment, there's letting, there's release. So that this is a, you're setting the conditions for mind, but happiness forms a, a really important part of this development of, of mind. So that um, the, the the cultivation of say of meditation and and the development of, of more refined states of 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 say of meditation. Uh, is not just a concentration exercise. It's a cultivation and setting the conditions of mind so that it's actually comfortable and and expansive. In terms of the word malleable. Yeah, how does how does that fit? Because I understood that when it's almost when there's malleability can happen, then mindfulness can happen arises without it. It can't, or something like that. Well, I mean, in the sense of malleable, it again is sometimes the uh, clusters of qualities are are mutually supportive of in the, in in when the Buddha is describing. Something sometimes it's mutually supportive, sometimes they're synonymous. In this case, I think it's like mutually supportive, uh, so that the uh, the quality of of 
malleability is is that the word mutu literally means soft, doesn't it? So that yeah, this is not a a hard edged um, driving of the mind to samadhi. It's it, there's a softness that is required, and that of course soft any quality of of the Buddha's teaching and practice and implementation has to rely on mindfulness. There has to be clarity. There's, there's, uh, there's no development. There's no progress in any aspect, you know, whether it's precepts or whether it's the, um, you know, cultivation of generosity and kindness. And that's that mindfulness is, is a fundamental quality of mind to be able to allow clarity to establish itself. Uh, good evening. Thank you, um, Ajahn and Ayas. Um, I received the island yesterday in the mail, and I'm delighted. I, I, I'm tickled, Ajahn uh, Longpour, um, to see you. And I have a question. Actually, I, I hope you will delight us in some teachings that uh, Ajahn Shah offered in relationship to awareness practice because I read a very delightful um, story about Ajahn Chah's realization or his experience of um, noticing that sense objects uh, were occurring in different parts of the mind than awareness. And he was uh, sitting with a lot of um, ease and relaxation. There was village music going on. And yet he was in this very um, uh, calm state to be able to see uh, the mind. The awareness was separate from the sense objects that were coming in. And uh, I was interested if he um, and you would share stories of um, some of his teachings around awareness practice and how um, and how it can um, help bring that um, quality of imperturbability. <laughs> he used the word, I think, in being indifferent from all external um, phenomena. I'm looking at the, the book. So um, I would <clears throat> thank you again for the anthology and uh, I would love to hear anything more on the topic. You have to get ready to change. Just before I said, I, I, I said, Daya Santusiga, okay, we'll just tag team. 
And then, of course, and then it comes immediately a, a question directed specifically to me. So, uh, <clears throat> and yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that you got the the island. I don't know where you got it in the mail. Where do you where do you actually live? I I do live in Seattle, but um, okay. unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for me, someone sold it on Amazon, and I I know it's not supposed to be for sale, um, but I got it. There we are. Apologies if I need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, whether we like it or not, we're plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think one of the things <clears throat> is to is to come back to the <clears throat> what that story illustrates of 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 Ajahn Chah and the the the, the sense that there is a uh, there is a fundamental difference between the mind and the objects of mind, and and that's. Uh, uh, and the objects of mind are endless, but there is this fundamental quality of knowing and awareness that is foundational to our experience of the mind, experience of life, of just being alive. And so it is, it is the it is the ground that our um, peace, well-being, happiness, uh, and clarity can be uh, settled in. And it's something that uh, Ajahn Chah was um, <clears throat> introduced to by his teacher, Ajahn Man. Uh, and... And that's something, and it's a teaching that is quite, uh, say, widespread in the Thai forest tradition of that that perspective, uh, that we can be living in a way that we can see and recognize and be engaged with the objects of mind, or we can it, our, uh, our our being can be grounded in the the quality of of heart of of knowing of awareness of stillness of of uh, uh, yeah uh, just a, of a fundamental clarity it's there for, to, it's it's always there and wasn't ever there um, we, we get we get entangled in the the objects of mind. Another um, idiom that that Ajahn Chah used uh, in a similar way, <clears throat> and it's what uh, say Ajahn Jayasaro chose to use as the title of Ajahn Chah's biography: "Stillness Flowing," uh, and as a, as a description of. Uh, of mind in the sense that um, we, our experience uh, 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 and the nature of mind is that there is this 
opportunity to access stillness and and it's flowing uh, and it's moving and it's shifting and it's uh, and it's flowing and it's shifting and it's it's changing and it's still and there's stillness there so that there's again this this sense of you know we <clears throat> our mind the human mind in general uh, Americans tend to do it better than most. Uh, everything needs to be black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, and uh, everything gets bifurcated uh, and uh, and in opposition to each other. And but in say like this quality of stillness flowing, uh, of peace within movement, uh, movement within peace. Um, the integration and harmonizing of of uh, of these qualities is really a uh, uh, um, uh, foundation for our both our our con- conceiving of say the goal and then how we try to live our practice. So I hope that's useful. I'm Daniel, um, and I want to ask about the sense of tenacity and re- or resolve um, that um, comes about from a sense of desperation of being in the predicament that we've put ourselves in, or that I've put myself in anyway, and. Um, I often feel that I no longer have a choice but to practice. And this sense of resolve can drag me out of despair, but it also has an aggressive quality to it, and that's not quite right. And I'm wondering what I can do to address that because I certainly don't want to um not bring up that sense of resolve when i am despairing when i am wanting to give up but the aggression is not right effort if you could speak to that please so we want to look at the nature of of aggression aggression anger how it can feel powerful and yet is so destructive so i am so i'm very appreciative of your delineation of these you know kind of mental states or aspects of your experience and i think um of course we want to or nurture our resolve and, and, and recognize it as an incredible support strength. Um, and I think it becomes nurtured by development of wisdom. And when we have, when we're developing wisdom and we're seeing more clearly like what to do, 
in our life. So what's wholesome, what's not wholesome, you know, how to really um, take the next step in the right direction virtuously. That helps a lot in relieving the desperation. And the to to begin to really see this determination, first of all, maybe a shift from desperation to sangwega, an urgency, a sense of urgency to awaken, to really practice, because all of us, no matter what our situation is, we're in this real mess of life in this constantly changing world that's threatening from every direction, really, and a lack of stability and satisfaction when we try to rely on the world. So that reliability, like Mungpur Pasano has been saying, comes from inside. And And then the more we can shift that desperation by reflecting on, okay, I'm keeping precepts. I'm um, developing kindness, generosity. I'm developing my confidence in the Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, you know, that faith. I'm, I'm really like, there are many good qualities here, even though this feels desperate at the moment, I can look at that really pay attention to your good qualities. Remind yourself of them. This is kind of what the Buddha did before he was enlightened in that sutta on fear and dread number four in the Majjhima Nikaya, where, um, you know, someone comes and talks to him about how scary it is to meditate in the jungle in in the forest and how doesn't, you know, doesn't a person lose their mind, you know, being out there by themselves and, I mean, that, and then the Buddha said, yeah, I know that feeling because I've had that feeling where, you know, like a peacock breaks a branch of the tree and all, you know, afraid. But he said that, you know, he would reflect, do you know this Sutta Daniel by any chance? It's a really, it's a good read, I think. (laughs) And, um, he would reflect, you know, well, someone who's, you know, breaking the basic precepts would be afraid, but I don't have any reason to be afraid because I'm keeping the precepts. Or someone who lacks wisdom, lacks understanding of what's wholesome and unwholesome, you know, and following, doing as much as possible towards the wholesome, they might be afraid. But I don't need to be afraid because I'm I have I have that wisdom. And he would go through his qualities like that and really remind himself he doesn't have to um, really take on the the fear, the dread, the desperation. But instead, you know, reflecting like that, being kind and compassionate to ourselves, being really uh, reminding ourselves of our good qualities, we can then you know use that as a as a springboard that helps us to you know like okay i can keep going i can i can really gain 
um, like make and develop the path and every step of the way, what I've seen so far is that it really helps. It helps me feel stronger and more solid. And, and really, um, as we develop those qualities, we gain that confidence. And of course, anytime something can just come out of left field and kind of knock us off our pins. And then we need to like, you know, like, okay, looking at those good qualities again, and also talking to spiritual friends, having a teacher can help enormously as we work with whatever comes up. I mean, there's so many times I'd be wrapped around the axle over something. I'd go to see Ajahn Pasano and I swear within 10 minutes, I am like chill and going in the right direction. <laughs> I cannot uh, like encourage you too much <laughs> to like find, you know, people like this in your life. And, and um, remember that the, the sense of urgency is positive. Um, that idea of balance is important. Remember that aggression is toxic. It's a defilement. When we, when we kind of tip over into that wanting to any kind of like harm that when that motivation comes from anger or uh, something like that to recognize, okay, this, this one, this is important to contain. Um, like I said, I'm really glad that you have so much awareness of, of it because when it comes up, then your mindfulness will help you see, oh, this is what's happening now. What I need to do is really go to the body. Where is that showing up in the body? And not feed it with thoughts, but really feel it in the body and let it play out in the body. And then, you know, it doesn't have the same power the next time around, usually. And you can really learn to master that. It's really seeing, like, where does it kind of tip into that, that side of things. Um, and then, you know, like, really putting the effort and the energy into, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, like, I want to do this with my practice, maybe more of a love for the practice too, um, to come up an appreciation. Okay. Looking back from before you started practicing and seeing, you know, what's changed in your life, you know, and, and um, really encouraging yourself. getting close to the end. Um, so yeah, just wanted to thank uh, Ayas, thank Lumpur. Um, yeah, really wonderful hearing teachings. What a great way to spend a Friday night. Um, also thank Sims. Um, yeah, thank you, Tim, and everyone else who helped set the hall up. And it's wonderful that so many people could come out and decide to spend a Friday night like this. Um, we're going to continue the fun tomorrow. Uh, we've got uh, our first, it's called a papa, um, a robe offering ceremony, or we're calling it 
finding a home. So we're going to be at St. Mark's Cathedral on Bloedel Hall starting at 9.30. People can show up uh, earlier than that. Uh, Parking might be at a bit of a premium, so you could uh, carpool together, but it'll be great. We'll have all the venerables here, plus Aya Ananda Bodhi will be coming in as well, as well as Ajahn Riti, the abbot of Wat Atam in Woodenville, uh, and just a lot of different communities, uh, a lot of different Dharma practice communities uh, here in Seattle will be all coming together. And I'm personally looking forward to it. So everyone's invited. And um, yeah, Tim, would you want to say any closing words? Or? Yeah, just on behalf of Seattle Insight, I'd like to thank you for sharing the Dharma so wonderfully tonight. It's been an honor to, to host you and wish you the best in the, the monastery. And thank you so much. And if you're drawn to offer Donna, we have a basket back here. We'll be going toward Clear Mountain to help with that, um, that project. And online, Ken will be putting that on the chat. And thank you all for all the volunteers. Many people came together to make this possible. So thank you. Well, yeah, that was going to just say, yeah, but those who want to bow can bow and that's about it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, if you want to circle around the eyes and ask them more questions, if you can get them before they run away, they're all yours. <laughs> <laughs>